When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver, doing a little bit of a solo show tonight. Um, I am on my own. I, I I just had some thoughts on the Jeff Collins whole tenure and the firing that's happened and some of the things about the, the Georgia Tech job in general that I wanted to get off here without... Uh, without bogging down the normal show as we do it, you know, we, we do the recaps and the previews every week, and I know people uh, come for those, and I know that not everybody is super interested in the Georgia Tech job itself, and so wanted to make sure that we had a space to kind of talk through what exactly happened here, what's coming next, and, and what you should expect, uh, as well as, you know, be able to do that in the context of, of Jeff Collins and why things went so, so far south for him so quickly. Um, so I wanted to do that and, and not, again, bog down the normal uh, the normal cadence of previews and recaps that we're in right now midseason. And so um, wanted to, again, be able to, to, to do this for you all. So um, don't know how long this is going to go for. Currently recording this a few minutes after 11 p.m. on Monday night here Central Time, uh, meaning in, on the East Coast it is early – Tuesday morning, I guess. Um, and if you're wondering what on earth are you doing still awake at this time of night, I will just tell you being the parent of a not quite six week old lends to some strange schedule situations. Um, I will also point out that that is a, a situation that results in some um, occasional sleep deprivation, some occasional yawns might happen in this episode, uh, some occasional lack for being able to find words. As if, you know, again, I just hypothetically we're sleep deprived, but um, doing this for you anyways, this is, uh, you know, content never sleeps and neither do I. So here we are. Uh, so let's talk about Jeff Collins. And, and obviously he was fired officially today on Monday, the 26th. They, they Georgia Tech now one in three on the season. He was fired um, at, uh, again, 10 and 28 is his final record. Um, th this was a situation that we saw coming for a while. Um, if you remember, I wrote the article that we are in the end game now last year after the Northern Illinois loss to start the year. And that was where I kind of called my shot. And I said, you know what, if they're going to lose this game in this way, after spending all offseason kind of talking themselves up and hyping themselves up and talking about how good they're going to be and how different they were going to be and blah, 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 blah. If they're going to lose this game this way, this is done. Like, this isn't going to work. There's no coming back from this. Sure enough, like three weeks later, they beat the brakes off in North Carolina, thought they looked really good, and I wrote the article of, oh, well, now we've got proof of concept. Like, maybe this will work. And then the whole thing kind of completely fell apart again the following week when they played Pittsburgh, and I don't think he ever really got it back. Um, so, you know, that was a weird time for sure, but definitely something that we've kind of known was coming for a while, and it happened. And so 
Tonight, what I want to talk about are kind of three things. Uh, where Jeff Collins failed, where it all went wrong, number one. Number two, the Georgia Tech job in general, kind of some things you should know about it, things to, you should be considering, and, and let's just kind of have some honest conversation about what, what this job is and is not in this day and age in the world of college football. And finally, we'll talk about you know what kind of candidates would work, and maybe let's throw out a couple of names and, and talk about whether they would or would not work. And so uh, we'll see how long this goes on for. Hopefully it's not too stream of consciousy, rambly. I've done a couple of these before. I've gotten some decent feedback, so hopefully this goes okay. I will point out as well, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, theoretically by the time you're listening to this, there will be a column that I have written on a lot of the same kind of ideas, but a little bit in response to some of the national media's response to this whole firing and kind of what what caused the firing. There's a column going up at fromtherumbleseat.com on the SB Nation Network, my old stomping grounds. Uh, once again, Ben and Robert and Kiefer and, and their whole team of, uh, of leadership was gracious enough to give me that space. And so um, that column is available. I would recommend going to read it. Um, I've just got some additional thoughts and, and some things that are, it's a little different to express certain thoughts, I guess, you know, via writing versus in the audio format. And so tonight I wanted to focus on the audio format. So go check out from the rumbleseat.com and, and check out that column that I have up here. If you want some more, some more context some more thoughts on, on what all happened here. So let's talk about where Jeff Collins failed. And let's start out by saying there, you know, there, there are a couple things that we got to give him the benefit of the doubt on. I'll say this for sure. Uh, number one, the most obvious, transitioning to a con more conventional, standard college football offense after years and years of, of the whole Paul Johnson uh, tenure at Georgia Tech, like that was never going to be easy. We can be honest about that. I don't think anybody is going to deny that or, or disagree with that. Um, certainly rebuilding the offensive line was something that we knew for a fact was going to be a thing. Uh, there were some real questions of, you know, did he have the quarterbacks in, in the room that had the skill sets that was that were going to be needed to succeed immediately? Uh, there, were, there were questions about that from the get-go, and I, I think everybody understood that. I don't think that that was something that anyone was really in super denial about. Um, it's just that that transition had to be approached in a certain way. If you, if you really wanted to kind of keep winning – uh, it, it to, to any degree, I think there was a certain way you had to approach that transition. I think he approached it in a different way, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The other thing I want to bring up and mention is just, again, to be fair to Collins in, in particular, he did have some pretty bad luck in his three-plus years on the flats. And what I'm gonna, I'll, I'll say about that is he had two players uh, tragically pass away on his watch. He, he lost Brandon Adams. Uh, the defensive tackle who was an NFL prospect. I mean, he was a really, really good player. He's a really special player, someone who is absolutely beloved uh, by you know his teammates, by the student body, um, an incredible young man who passed away in a freak accident, I believe, right before he was going to uh, start spring camp uh, as he first took over the job, as Collins did. Um, just a total freak crazy thing and, and that was incredibly unfortunate it was incredibly bad luck uh, both for the the program's morale and 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 kind of the, the off the field stuff but even on the field again he was a dominant defensive tackle um, massive uh, massive man who was a good player and he could he could really make a lot of things happen on the defensive side of the ball and so that was a that was a big loss uh, in in every way imaginable 
The other one was Bryce Gowdy, a wide receiver he had, uh, that Collins and staff had recruited out of South Florida. Um, that was another tragic situation that right before he was supposed to be showing up on campus um, and, and starting his career at Georgia Tech, and he was a guy who was one of the higher regarded recruits in that class of, uh, I believe it was the class of 2020, so his first major recruiting class, Uh to have him pass away before he gets a chance to even step on campus. I mean, again, absolutely tragic and, and, and sad. And, and just, again, a, a really bad luck situation for Collins that he, this is, that was something that, you know, he did not have any sort of input into. He didn't have any uh, impact on. It was just purely situational. And to have two players like that, that are, that figure to be impact guys for your program pass away, just incredibly bad luck and, and, Obviously, to then have all of that and then in your second year on, on the job to go into the whole COVID situation. Um, you, I think they got maybe a week or so of spring practice in before everyone was sent home. Um, you're meeting over Zoom for a lot of the summer. And I remember hearing things where the the strength staff had developed a workout program using like a backpack and a milk jug because, you know, not everybody has a set of weights at their house. And I mean... The whole thing is just absolutely wild, uh, unprecedented, and, and just you, there's nothing you can do. I mean, it's just totally unlucky that he had to deal with that, and that throws off, I think, a lot of uh, potential plans that you might have of, of you know, here's what we're going to do going into year two. Well, now year two, you got a different schedule. You've had, you know, no real off season, or, or certainly nothing that resembles a normal off season. Lots of issues like that, so... Credit to where, you know, I, I do want to give him that credit or, or, or you know, in fairness to him, I, I did want to bring those things up that those are things that he had to deal with. Where he failed, uh, where to begin? The, the place that I would begin, honestly, uh, honestly, is that really that introductory press conference that he had when he was hired by Todd Stansberry. I believe it was on a Friday evening in December of 2018. Uh, Jeff Collins came in and he made some huge promises from the jump. Um, he was talking about, you know, bringing Georgia Tech back to glory. And I remember specifically he had mentioned at some point, you know, we're going to I remember back when we had college game day on campus, we're going to do that again. And um, really, really hyping himself up and, and writing some checks that he was going to have a pretty brutal time trying to cash on the field. Um, I don't think that was necessarily the right approach. I think there probably should have been a little bit more. Uh, practicality to it of, you know, he, he talked about a lot about how this is going to be a transition, but I don't, I think he was maybe jumping at, uh, jumping the gun a little bit too much by uh, bringing up kind of the, the end goal so soon in what was going to be a, a big transition that I'm not even sure he, he, I'm not even sure that there's a reason that he should have thought that he really understood what he was getting into at that point. Um, in terms of just what the transition was going to mean or how things were going to go. I, I think, I think he was, uh, he got out in front of them. He, he put the cart before the horse there and, and it just, that I, I don't think that was the right approach. Um, he went on and he hired an inexperienced and ineffective coaching staff. Um, look at the coordinators. That's the, the obvious place to look. I think you, you hired your offensive coordinator, Dave Patnode, formerly an offensive coordinator at Hofstra and coastal Carolina, who both at the time were FCS programs and then he had been at Temple for two years as offensive coordinator. You hired defensive coordinator Andrew Thacker, who had one year of experience as a defensive coordinator at Temple, four years of position coaching experience between the FCS and G5 levels, and that was it. 
those are your coordinators. Those are your two schematic leaders of your team are guys like that that had spent you know a grand total of three years as coordinators at the FBS level at all. Um, and those are the guys that you're asking now to come into the ACC and scheme and coach against some of the names that you just look around and you see. Again, I mean, you, you've got defensive coordinators in this league like at the time Brent Venables and Pat Narduzzi and some of those guys. You've got offensive minds. Uh, I, I mean, North Carolina's always got good offenses. David Cutcliffe at Duke has always had good offenses. Like these are some – you had some really experienced names in this conference and you're bringing in like rookies basically – and I mean, well, at least they can recruit. Yeah, they can recruit, but there's a lot more they're going to have to do. And you found a team that was often getting out schemed. They struggled to make adjustments in game. And it's no wonder where that came from. And so that's that was indicative. You know, they, they had three other on-field assistants that came with them from Temple. There was another one that was going to come with them that left for Minnesota shortly after they, they arrived at Georgia Tech. Um, so he was going to have six on-field assistants, including both coordinators, coming from his Temple staff and expecting to uh, to compete immediately in the ACC. And I never got the impression that bringing in this level of staff was because, well, this is just the best that we can do. This is all that we have money for. Um, this is the best I can do. No, no. I think there was a little bit of maybe an arrogance involved there as well. And keep in mind, this staff that he brought in, in some sense, you know, you might have indi- you might have uh, discovered or noticed a year or two in this probably isn't good enough. We probably need a little bit more experience. We need s- some more edge, uh, somebody that approaches things differently. Whatever, the whole staff was intact through three seasons. I mean, and, and so it's like I, I refuse to accept that we could do no better than this. Like, especially when you've got last year at the end of the year, and I mentioned this in the column, I, I, I still am, am hung up on this article that we got from Ken Segura at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who spoke to a couple of major tech boosters, and they're sitting there saying, well, why is Andrew Thacker still our defensive coordinator? Your boosters are saying that. If you couldn't afford a better defensive coordinator, I'd think they would know. Right. Like those guys are the ones able to bankroll a new defensive coordinator by themselves. So why weren't they doing it? Probably because they weren't asked to. Why weren't they asked to? I don't know. Why did Collins not want to get rid of Andrew Thacker after three years? I don't know. So I I think that there was more that he could have done with that coaching staff. I know he brought in Brent Key, who had some experience. He's now your interim head coach. Um, He was former offensive line coach for Nick Saban. Uh, you had Tashard Choice, who seems like he's worked out really well. He's since moved on to USC, but then now is at Texas uh, as the running backs coach. He's he's shooting up the coaching ranks. He's doing really well for himself. Uh, Marco Coleman got an upgrade, I think, in a job going up to Michigan State. Kerry Dixon now headed to the Baltimore Ravens. So there's a couple of these guys who, who seem like they've done okay, but very little Power 5. Ex- I mean, Choice had never coached at the Power 5 level. Uh, you know, Larry Knight again came from, came with him from Temple, but Kerry Dixon had a couple of years at Florida, but otherwise he had never really been at the, the P five level. Like it just it didn't make a lot of sense, and, and I don't think it was something that I scrutinized nearly enough at the time. I think it was something I kind of breezed over, didn't really pay attention to. But if you're wondering, you know, why is Joey so hung up on this staff that Tony Elliott has hired at Virginia? This is why these guys were so clearly in over their head 
and it has it has borne itself out on the field for almost you know for I guess three and a little over three and a quarter seasons at this point through thirty eight games and they've lost twenty eight of them you know that's that's why I, I am hung up on it. I want to mention too here. Collins made some snide remarks early on about the previous regime and Paul Johnson, despite the fact that they were successful for years. Uh, you know, Johnson had a, a successful tenure. It, it kind of sputtered out towards the end, I think. And I, I mean, I know it was a controversial thing, and I'm not here to relitigate that. But you look at the tenure that he had. He finished 20 games over 500. He uh, he pretty much was always at least 500 or better in conference play, made two Orange Bowls, three conference championship games. Like, by all, by all means, like, that was a successful tenure. And, and I think if you're a Georgia Tech fan saying that Paul Johnson was not successful at Georgia Tech, you would be kind of kidding yourself or, or lying to yourself or just really trying to fit a narrative somehow. But for Collins to come in and kind of take some jabs – at Johnson and, and his offense and you know they didn't recruit and all those things like man that was kind of a bold move early on um, and, and and something that you know you you really haven't proven that much and I don't think you're in a place to be making those comments and not to mention he did it in a way that I think kind of pretty immediately early on put off a, a considerable amount of the fan base who was still kind of in that corner of you know not thinking that we should have moved on from Paul Johnson kind of thing um, thinking well you know Paul Johnson what he's doing is good enough we're not going to get anything better they were still kind of in Johnson's corner so to speak and and I'll, I'll point this out too or I'll mention this too Kelly Quinlan our, our guest from Jackets Online he's pointed out a couple of times that this whole you know back and forth of Collins making a couple of snide comments that really weren't received well that also kind of reflects on A.D. Todd Stansberry, who also today lost his job. Um, both, both these guys, by the way, seem like they were in like, their dream jobs, you know, and, and kind of somewhere they considered home, and it's, it's unfortunate. But, like, again, this is where Todd Stansberry did not help himself or his coach that he had just hired, not only getting him to knock it off with some of these comments, but also not reading the room of there's people that still have a lot of respect and regard for Paul Johnson. That did not help at all. Then we can get to the actual football part of this, where I felt like Collins really treated that first year like it was meant more for getting some scheme content on film and something for kind of showing off to recruits. And really, I don't think he treated it as a season where we need to try to win games now. I, I don't think that that was the approach at all. Um, you just go look at, again, especially the offensive scheme where the transition was happening, Go look game to game, and the game plans were just like a total departure week to week. You're not even using the same formations. You're not using the same personnel packages. You're not using the same plays and concepts. Like It was like the offense of the week, I think, was how I've heard it referred to. It was something just completely different from week to week. It was never meant to succeed. You find something that works one week, you do it a lot, and it, and it worked, and then you, the next week, it's like it's totally gone. And at that point... I can tell you're not trying to win games. You're trying to put stuff on film and so you can go out and recruit and say, hey, look, you see this thing that we did, the, these things that we're doing? We could use you this way. You know, we can – this is the kind of offense that we're running, whatever, and you just get as much variety out there as possible. This was something I felt like coming off the Johnson era, 
I still to this day feel like that team that he inherited, the 2018 team was a bowl team. I, I forget if they were six and six or five or seven and five, but like there was still like some talent there. And, and that was not like a totally untenable situation that they were coming into. I felt like there was some potential to win, you know, maybe win five or six games that first year if you do it a certain way. If you run a run heavy scheme that sure, I mean, you, you do it out of the shotgun and do it in ways that kind of look aesthetically a little bit more like what you're trying to portray. But you can still kind of do some things that are a, a little bit of a slower transition and, and resemble a little bit of what used to be there and what the team was designed to do and to be good at. And instead, you just dove headfirst into, no, no, we're, we're going to run an NFL-style whatever, you know, word salad offense, you wanted to call it. And so that was, that was particularly frustrating. I think that was a failure. Obviously, you had, had numerous head-scratching losses lost to the Citadel that first year. In that game in particular, man, after you threw the barbs, the the jabs at Paul Johnson and his offense and his tenure, for an FCS team to come in in your third game with that same offense that Paul Johnson ran for whatever 12 years or however long, you know, he was there at Georgia Tech, to lose that game and look like you had no idea how to stop it when you know damn well you had a locker room full of guys who had seen that offense time and time again in practice in previous years I mean just the ultimate egg on the face and I think that was honestly that third game the third game of Jeff Collins tenure with some of the comments that he had made and the way that he had handled himself to lose that game the way that they did I think that was where he lost a a considerable portion of the fan base that he never got back um, I don't I, not not fifty percent or anything like that. You know, there has been a lot of discourse about Collins since then, but there I, I don't know five to ten percent. Yeah, I think they saw that game and were like, "Holy crap! Like, what is this?" Um, so that was a, a really bad one. By the way, he followed that up the next week. He lost to the Temple team that he had been coaching the previous year in really ugly fashion up in Philadelphia. They lost twenty four to two. It was a safety that avoided that that shutout that was going to break the in, the lengthy, lengthy streak of never being shut out that Georgia Tech had going. And then after the game, Collins is talking them up like there's some really great team and, and almost in like a self-promotional way to s- save face and say, well, look what I built. You know, we're going to be that team. or what? And it's like just, again, just a terrible look from him. Um, so I those were kind of where the failings started. Um, you got into 2020. You you started out with a win against Florida State. That was a good moment. Uh, Jeff Sims came in, started that game as a true freshman. That was a, a good moment, a good game, a good look for your program. Following week, you, you lose to UCF at home in a – the final score says it was a blowout. The, the game, it wasn't actually. They kind of hung in there, but that was, again, that was a pretty good UCF team. Um, that was Je- Josh Heupel's last UCF team, if I'm not mistaken. And then you go up to New York into the Carrier Dome and lose by three scores to a Syracuse team that did not win a game the rest of the year. You came out flat. There were mental mistakes. You were getting false start penalties. The stadium was empty. There was no noise. I don't know how you're, you know, there's no concern. You, you can hear the snap count. Some guys just can't count, I guess. So you had that game. Uh, you had the 73-7 to game against Clemson where they racked up 50 points in the first half. 
that was largely related, I thought, to just a horrendous game plan where you're trying to run tempo and run as many plays as possible against a team that has you pretty badly outgunned and got you killed and got you embarrassed. Not great. Um, I mean, just embarrassing loss after embarrassing loss. The Pittsburgh game was an absolute snafu that year, and that was where the whole uh, you know Collins, Pat Narduzzi handshake thing came up, handshake gate or whatever you want to call that. Um, the way that that all went down was just incredibly frustrating to watch. You started the 2021 season with the Northern Illinois loss. That was embarrassing. Last minute, again, you've been hyping yourself up all offseason. Then to lose that game was pretty awful. You gave up 50 points to Pittsburgh at home. Got beat. We all know the hundred to nothing losses at Notre Dame and into Georgia to finish last year. I mean, it was just it was one of these things where it seemed like a thing where he he talked about how much we're going to put the ball down and and we got to go out there and compete and do these types of things. And in so many of these moments, it was like his team was so incredibly mentally and emotionally fragile. He, they would go out there and the energy wouldn't always look great, and then something bad would happen, and it was like these teams would fold up like, and, and just absolutely go home. Like they were just done and, and just get rolled. You saw it again against Ole Miss here a couple weeks ago, 42 to nothing. They get punched in the face to start the game. They, they give up a touchdown, like, you know, hot knife through butter, go down 7 nothing, get a punt blocked, give, give up another touchdown. It's 14 nothing. That game was over. Team quit. The team quit on him. So I, I don't know. The, the secondary in 2021 was another thing that, that all happened, that you, you've got the same guys playing together for three years, somehow getting worse. There was no accountability. The whole thing is just a, a total system failure. And so many of these things that I'm talking about, we're going to talk about some things here in a minute that are, you know, what make the Georgia Tech job not as easy as some might think, maybe not as bad as others think. But, like, th these are things that, uh, that are inherent to the Georgia Tech job, those are not things that cause Jeff Collins to fail. What I have talked about so far is him talking a big game. I have talked about a team that was really poorly coached, made all sorts of mental mistakes constantly for the entirety of his tenure. Uh, a team that was mentally fragile, and there was very little accountability, it seemed like, in a lot of cases. Uh, he was incredibly defensive of a coaching staff that was failing, None of those things are, are things that are just inherent to the Georgia Tech job. Those are Collins' failures. Those are uniquely his failures and his problem and things that he should have resolved or fixed or, or not made the mistake on in the first place. And yet, here we find ourselves. And so I, I, I just wanted to point out that where Jeff Collins failed was uniquely his failure. This is not a program that is, is just nearly impossible to win at. I think history would tell you that the world is different now and college football is different now than it was probably when Paul Johnson was hired. It is drastically different than that mid 2000s era. And yet this is still a place where people can win. So let's talk about what is this Georgia Tech job. There's a couple of, I guess, national uh, narratives, I think, out there that seem to follow Georgia Tech around. The first one is the one that really kind of underestimates what this job is. And that's where you hear somebody say, well, Georgia Tech's in the middle of Atlanta. Look at the state recruiting rankings and look at all the blue chip prospects that are within 50 miles of the campus. Like they should be one of the recruiting powers in the sport. They should have a better roster than almost anybody in the sport. 
And if you hear somebody saying that, you should hear that and just know that that person does not fundamentally understand Georgia Tech at all. It is far from that simple to say, well, they're just close to these recruits, so they should be able to get them. I will talk about why here in a minute. Um, if you're hearing somebody say, um, well, there's misalignment and and there, there's all these other issues. Well, there are, but it's I, I don't think that, again, that that's as bad as, as it's made out to be. I think that's a ceiling issue for the program. It is not a floor. It is not a reason that you can't come in and win six, seven, eight, maybe even nine games most years. Um, I think that that is something that is entirely on the table. A couple of things here that you should know about the Georgia Tech job. So, number one, money, finances is a, a sticking point here. And it always has been, always probably will be. Um, the ACC, not as well-funded a conference as the SEC nor the Big Ten. Um, you are not going to be able to money whip anybody really from any other Power Five conference. I will be very, very surprised if somehow Georgia Tech is to hire a sitting Power Five head coach. Um, I think that is nearly impossible. And there's some places that they couldn't even afford to hire a coordinator from. Um, you look at, you know, again, Georgia or Clemson or Ohio State, some of these jobs, Texas even, like their coordinators are, are kind of off limits in terms of just from a financial standpoint. They'd be taking a pay cut to come to Georgia Tech to be their head coach in, in some cases. Um, not a, a money-rich program. And also one, by the way, I don't know how many people know this, uh, Georgia Tech's athletic budget has a pretty significant anchor on it in terms of a, a debt servicing payment they have to make every year. Uh, late in the 90s, when they expanded the football stadium, the upper north stands were built, uh, I believe at the behest of Georgia Leary. That came with a, a massive uh, investment that is still being paid off to some degree. And then I believe it was also earlier in the Dan Radakovich tenure in the late uh, in the later part of the 2000s that there were some additional facilities upgrades made that were financed. And all of this to say, at this point, Georgia Tech has an operating budget of around $100 million a year. $14 million of their $100 million expenses is debt payments. 15, like 14% of their budget, right? And if you start thinking about this in terms of, of the football program, think about what a difference it would be to have $14 million a year that you could invest into your programs instead of just paying debt and getting nothing from it, right? I, I'm, and, and even if you did, I mean, so let's say that, that that debt, I snap my fingers right now, debt's gone. Is all $14 million of that immediately going into football? No. No, it's not. I mean, realistically, it's not. But is $5 million of it going into football? $7 million? Yeah, possibly. And at that point, if you've got 5 or $7 million to put into football, that is a huge difference maker in terms of what kind of coach you're able to bring in, what kind of staff they're able to put around them. I mean, that is like, you know, approaching doubling what they're able to do right now. And so I, it, it's a huge deal entirely to think that, you know, that debt payment and debt that they're having to pay down constantly still is a huge deal. And it's part of the reason that Georgia Tech is sitting here making financial decisions of, well, can we afford to fire Jeff Collins now or, or should we just wait until January 1st when his, uh, when his contract, when the buyout goes down? Well, $3.5 million, kind of a big deal, wouldn't be if you had $14 million extra in your budget every year. So 
it's not one that is is again going to be able to money whip places. I don't think they're ever going to be one of the three most well paid staffs in the ACC, that kind of thing. But they're not going to be the poorest in the ACC either. There is a level of investment there that makes it able to uh, keep up with the Joneses to a certain degree. Now, again, keep in mind if if the Joneses that you're trying to keep up with are Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Texas, etc., you're not going to be able to do that. Um, th- th- there's not enough money for that. Are you able to keep up with NC State and Virginia Tech and uh, North Carolina and, and Florida State and some of them? Yeah, probably. Probably. And thankfully, those are the teams that you play with and you gotta you got to beat every year. And so um, I, I think in terms of just who you compete against, I think they can keep up with that from a financial standpoint. Um, that's not really been a, a major sticking point to that degree so far. So not a rich program, but not poor either. Uh, but certainly in a situation where uh, that debt, by the way, is not going to be paid off for probably like at least two decades. Um, it is a there is a lot of outstanding principal and a lot of that fourteen million dollars is just paying off interest. It's not great. It's not a great situation. Uh, I would encourage you again from, from the Rumble Seat. Also did a really great job. I think it was Akshay, um, maybe Jake. I don't remember, but. They did a really great job putting together a, a look at the finances and kind of pointing some of this stuff out. Um, go look that up, and, and it's really, really insightful uh, in terms of just a look at what Georgia Tech is having to pay for. So, again, not rich, not ultra poor. Something else you got to consider when you look at this job and in this program is there is there's a heavy perception issue and what I'll just, ref- I'll just straight up call an SEC bias in the city of Atlanta and in the state of Georgia. Um, I can tell you this as somebody who grew up in the city of Atlanta, or I guess in the suburbs, you know, I went to Georgia tech. I have seen this up close and in person basically since I was like three years old, we moved to Atlanta. Um, Georgia tech is not looked at on the same level is not talked about on the same level as the university of Georgia. It does not get the same level of respect in football as Georgia, as Alabama, as Auburn, Florida, Tennessee, just start, you know, draw a a circle of about, you know, 400 miles around Atlanta. Look at all the SEC programs in that circle. Georgia Tech doesn't really get the the respect that any of those get, even when they're good. Um, And so it's, it's, it's an issue. It's deep seated within the culture of Atlanta. And I think you can go back and look at some of the recruiting uh, over the past, I don't know, 10 plus years and go back as far as you want, really. Go look at the top players in the state of Georgia that were, you know, coming out of high school and where they went to college. Just pick a year, pick two, three years and go look at it. What you're going to see is, number one, a majority of them are going to Georgia, naturally. Um, That's number one. But number two, the ones that don't go to Georgia, like 75% of them are going to Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, uh, South Carolina, all these SEC programs nearby, Auburn. Some of them go to Clemson, some of them go to Florida State, some of them go to Miami. Very few of them will go almost anywhere else. A couple go to Notre Dame or Michigan or Ohio State. Georgia Tech is not getting those recruits, not entirely just because, well, we're just not that good at recruiting. There is a perception issue. So much of the the city of Atlanta and the surrounding suburbs does not look at Georgia Tech or treat Georgia Tech like a legitimate uh, high-end college football program. And whether that's you know legitimate and, and correct and accurate or not is not the point. The point is that 
when you're going through high school and you're a high-end recruit and you're hearing from your coaches, oh, don't go play there, and you're hearing from you know parents and teachers and such like, oh, no, no, you want to go to Georgia. Oh, no, no, you want to go play real football at Alabama and go play real football at South Carolina and the SEC. I mean, that, that impacts things. That weighs on you, and that's exactly how it is. I, I talk about, too, I, I've mentioned this before, um, Georgia Tech doesn't have a teacher's college. There is very, very little, I think, in the way of, of teaching at the elementary, middle, high school level in the state of Georgia that comes from Georgia Tech. You have teachers from every other college in the state. Georgia, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, Valdosta. You've got teachers from Auburn, again, from Alabama, from Clemson, from Florida State, like you name it. You've got coach, teachers from all of them. I think going through uh, through school through 13 years K through 12 in Gwinnett County, just northeast of Atlanta, and about halfway between Atlanta and Athens, I, I think I had one teacher through 13 years who went to Georgia Tech. I had more teachers who had kids that went to Georgia Tech than I had teachers that went there. there I think I just had one, and I think it was my physics teacher my junior year of high school. Like, go figure. He was he was like a nuclear engineering major. He taught in the Navy and all this stuff. That's the only teacher I had that went to Georgia Tech. I was in classrooms that were covered in, again, in Georgia things, in Georgia Southern, in Clemson, all this. I can remember this. And so you wonder why nobody is wondering, you know, well, should I go to Georgia Tech? It's like, well, you don't really impact the youth in so many ways. And that's where it all starts. And that, it starts this cycle. Um, so there there is a deep-seated perception issue and SEC bias, I think, in the city of Atlanta and in the state of Georgia, that Georgia Tech is never going to get over. And it's never going to be fixed. Certainly, if it is, it is going to take a long, long, long time to the point that I might never see it in my life. Uh, It would probably involve something of a change of direction for the Institute, frankly. Part of that related to the fact, and something else I've talked about on this podcast before, you hear about things that Georgia Tech is academically rigorous or it's strict. It's hard to get guys in, uh, hard to keep them eligible. That's true. Uh, we've got high standards. I, I think those standards, as, as with anywhere, probably get a little bit relaxed for athletes and, and makes sense. I think they probably should. But there's also this whole other issue of being academically narrow. And, and that kind of comes into play for a couple of reasons. Number one, you just show a kid uh, that you're trying to recruit out of high school. Well, here are our list of majors. You know, we think you could be really good at this one. We think you'd really like this one. Uh, it's a short list, and about 75% of them are STEM majors. Not sure how many high school football players out there really legitimately want to be engineering majors or want to be a computer science major or uh, a math or physics major. I'm guessing it's not that many. And so you're trying to pigeonhole everybody into a few different little majors uh, around your your campus. Um, business majors kind of, uh, in, in some cases, kind of become an afterthought for some of the engineering majors and such at Georgia Tech. That's like one of the best majors you have to, to show football players coming out of high school and athletes in general. And it's a great major. And I, I'm not I'm not here to disparage uh, business majors or I guess what used to be management majors riding the M train, as it were. Yeah, I, I remember those days. But it's more just the idea that you don't have a lot of options. You don't have criminal justice majors. You don't have teaching majors. You don't have, uh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, the, the nonsense major at North Carolina was. You don't have underwater basket weaving majors. You don't have things that are just designed to keep athletes eligible. And so it's that narrowness that, that is, I think, tough to get guys interested. 
The other thing, uh, by the way, that I'll bring up with this narrow thing, and I mentioned this fairly recently on the podcast, being academically narrow also creates some serious issues in terms of trying to interact with a transfer portal. Why would that be? This is something that has also kind of really started to rear its head in terms of causing issues for Georgia Tech's football program in particular since the APR was introduced in 2004. And if you don't know what that is, the APR is the academic progress rate. It's something that is dictated by the NCAA that basically requires athletes from any varsity sport um, to be making progress towards a degree. So you have to show not only are you passing classes, but those classes that you're passing uh, are helping you to progress towards your graduation of your, your, at your major, basically. Now, why is that related to the transfer portal? Well, because Georgia Tech, being academically narrow and being academically strict, means that a lot of guys who go spend two years at Alabama – they're in probably one of those underwater basket weaving majors half the time that they're going to be able to be kept eligible and they're going to have good grades, but they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to go in the transfer portal. I'm not getting enough playing time. I, I want to go home to Atlanta and I'll, you know, maybe I'll play at Georgia tech. Well, what's going to happen then is we're going to say, well, what, what, what was your major? And they're going to say, Oh, it was, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I was a, a social justice, a, a, a criminal justice major. Oh, okay, so what, what classes did you take? Oh, well, I took this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, well, most of those classes are now going to be free electives, and you're coming in as a third year. We can't actually – you're not actually, you know, two out of four years on your way to making progress towards a degree here at Georgia Tech. You're going to be academically ineligible if you show up here until you get back on pace. These are These are legitimate problems that Georgia Tech is going to have, is bringing in guys who are – you know, more than like a year into college and are not grad transfers. You basically can't do it except for in certain specific cases. It takes some really special cases. So it, it makes it to where it is way easier for you to lose players to the transfer portal than to get guys out of the transfer portal. Um, again, academically narrow, rigorous, strict, by the way, and, and one more thing with the academics that I'll bring up the job that you hear this compared to a lot of times in terms of academics is Northwestern or Duke or Stanford or Vanderbilt or Notre Dame. Um, I, I, those are the ones that immediately come to my mind. Like those are the jobs that Georgia tech is recruiting kids for. There's, there's one thing that all those schools have in common that they do not have in common with Georgia tech. And that is that all of those schools are private schools. And what that means is that they kind of get to dictate their curriculum. They get to dictate their standards. Basically, everything is in-house short of anything that would maybe cost them accreditation or something to that effect. And I, I, maybe I'm wrong on, on some of this and, and let me know if I am in the comments. But um, those are private schools. They get a lot, of, a lot more carte blanche. Georgia Tech's a public school. Uh, they have to answer to the university system of Georgia. You want to get new programs validated. You want, um, you know, any sort of major changes on the academic arm of the school have to be approved by the Board of Regents. That is largely run by folks who are, you know, who, who are more interested in seeing the University of Georgia succeed than they are in seeing Georgia Tech succeed. So, again, it's it's things like this that no head coach is going to be able to to come in and fix. This is just kind of is what it is. I think some of this might lend itself to what you might call misalignment 
because we sit here, we talk about the football product and, and what we see on the field on Saturdays and can they compete against different schools, those kinds of things. That's one piece of it. The other piece of it is is how much is the athletic department able to align with the uh, the academic end of the school to make these things work and, and make it line up, put together a comprehensive program that athletes want to be a part of and can succeed in both on the field and off. Um, and, and that's something that has constantly been a push and pull kind of thing. And I, I don't know that that's ever going to get solved. Again, it, it's something that, in my mind, it limits the ceiling of what you can be at Georgia Tech, of what that program can be. Obviously, there's other things that really kind of prop it up. I, I talked about the issues you have within Atlanta and the state of Georgia. You can still get kids out of Georgia, and there's a lot of talented players in Georgia. There, there are you, you can win a couple of recruiting battles. You can't win against Georgia. You can't win against Alabama. You probably can't even win against like Ohio State and, and some of the other big-time programs that are, are sending recruiters into Atlanta on a regular basis to go win these recruiting battles. But after all those schools are done and moved on to other top-end prospects in other states, there's still some really good football being played in the state of Georgia. You can put together a good Power 5 roster even with some of these restrictions. So it's it's all to say these are the reasons that Georgia Tech is never going to win a national title again. They're the reasons that I don't think you're ever really going to consistently beat the University of Georgia again. Uh, you're going to struggle to compete with Clemson in its current iteration and, and what it has been it really has been for the last decade or so under Dabo Swinney. But can you win seven, eight games a year in this program? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, we can talk about scheduling and some of those things that need to make sense, but can you build a roster and then coach them in a way that makes them able to, to win in this, this environment that you're in? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and, and I don't think it necessarily requires something, you know, in particular special like the triple option or the, you know, the flex bone option that, that Paul Johnson ran. I don't think it requires that. Um, it is purely a, can you, you can absolutely build an average or better P five roster but can you coach them up? Can you coach them up? That is the question. So let's talk about then, I guess, briefly, what type of candidate will work, and then we can get to a couple of names that we're looking at. Before we do that, I want to remind you about Section103.com, the Internet's premier place for all things Georgia Tech apparel. Uh, they've got wonderful T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. They've got some performance wear. They've got something for men, women, and children, something for the whole family. They've got stickers. Uh, those are fun. Put on your car, put on your laptop, give it to your kids, see what nonsense they do with it in, in your uh, in your house. I don't know. I don't make the rules. You can do whatever you want. You want things with the official tech gold. You want the all the official word marks, including the ATL logo that was designed by Steven at Section 103. Go to section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, really high-quality stuff. I, I really enjoy mine. The performance wear is especially great for keeping me cool in the summers. Uh, if you don't know, I live here in Houston, Texas. It is as hot, if not slightly hotter, than Atlanta, and it works great down here. I'm sure it will work there as well. Uh, it'll help you look great on game day if you are going to support the team and its new iteration under uh, Brent Key at Bobby Dodd Stadium on Saturday. Wear your Section 103. You plan on going to a basketball game at the Thriller Dome this fall? Wear your Section 103. Going to a baseball game in the spring, Section 103. Volleyball, all of it. Once again, Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. 
So what kind of candidate would work at Georgia Tech? And what are some names that we should be looking at? In my mind, the candidate that works at Georgia Tech is someone who is more scheme-focused and not recruiting-focused. And I think you, you point at Paul Johnson, and we can say, oh, well, the you know, triple option, blah, blah, blah. It's not, I don't think it's the option. I think it's that Paul Johnson had a scheme that they were going to play to. I think that he was good at coaching his players. I think he was good at scheming, making in-game adjustments, coming up with game plans to attack opponent weaknesses, those kinds of things. They weren't winning the game in a lot of cases because they were more talented than their opponents for the most part. They were winning games because they ran a really good scheme. They planned well. They executed well. And he had players who knew what to do at critical moments in the game. They didn't make a lot of mental mistakes in so many cases. I, 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 I've talked before, and, and I've mentioned again, I think there's enough going against Georgia Tech in the recruiting world and the fact that they're not going to be able to recruit their way to a roster that's going to win a lot of games with average or worse coaching. I really don't think that's the case. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think your absolute ceiling for recruiting here is recruiting classes every year somewhere around like 20th-ish nationally. I think that is your ceiling is somewhere between 15 and 20, maybe year in and year out. I think that's the very, very best that you could do at Georgia Tech recruiting-wise. I think reasonably any average recruiter at Georgia Tech probably can have pretty consistent top 30 to 35 recruiting classes. And when you consider where that would put you in the, in the context of the ACC, that would be an average or better roster in the ACC. And at that point, can you coach him? That's what I would be looking for. Um, so as we look at some candidates, some names, and before we do that, let me just say, if you were listening to this on September the 27th or the 28th or the 29th, and you have seen a post, you've seen a tweet of somebody in the media saying, well, here are the top four candidates that are being looked at right now uh, that are being investigated, that are being interviewed. Uh, these guys are thought to be the front runners for the job, blah, 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 blah. It's nonsense. It's garbage. It's not real. This is agencies trying to prop up their own guys, whatever. We are so, so early in this process, number one. And number two, the fact that Todd Stansberry is gone and he was fired and there is not an, uh, an effective, like, long-term AD in place, we haven't even started a search, and there's not... I don't even know who's making the hire at this point. So what... You know, I don't know what interviews do you think are happening or, or how we would have narrowed this down to a leader or whatever. I don't think any of that is legitimate. So I don't believe anything you read there for, I, I would say, at least two to three weeks. At least two to three weeks. Uh, that That's the the initial kind of uh, moratorium on believing what you read about who the candidates are for this job. I'll say that. And I, um, let me know if you disagree with that. I, I just, there's no way. couple candidates. First one that everybody is interested in and everybody wants to talk about. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. He is an Atlanta icon, played at uh, played at Florida State, but played for the Falcons, played for the Atlanta Braves, um, really was kind of one of the catalysts for what the Falcons became in the late 90s and uh, and on and on since then. Um, flashy guy, great recruiter is what everyone's going to say about him. Yep, he pulled Travis Hunter out of my high school, actually, Collins Hill High School. He was committed to Florida State, got him to go to Jackson State. You got the number one recruit in the country to go to an HBCU. Um, 
he's built a, a roster way better than anybody else has at that level, and he's winning a lot of games. And, ooh, boy, just imagine what he could do recruiting for Georgia Tech. I, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Again, I, I don't think Deion Sanders could consistently build a program at Georgia Tech that is recruiting better than that 15 to 20 level, and that's not good enough to just out-talent everybody the way that he is doing right now at Jackson State. You can win at that level if you have way better players than everybody else. It's not that hard, I would imagine. I, I have played NCAA football, the Xbox game, for a long time. I know what it's like to play games where you have more talent than the other team, and it is not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard to win. I just don't think that he would be able to build a program at Georgia Tech where he would have that much more talent than everybody else to where then, I mean, I, we just don't know what that looks like scheme-wise. And so it, I guess it's not to say that it definitely, definitely wouldn't work. I, maybe it would, and maybe there's more there from a schematic standpoint that he's doing or that he's capable of, and maybe he would bring in the right assistance to make all that work. I just, we haven't seen it yet. And this program is in a place right now where it cannot take a gamble like that and just hope that Coach Prime would work out. Maybe he would. It would be it would be fun. It would be interesting. The media would love it. You ever wonder why some of these uh, some of these publications, some of these podcasts are pushing for it? Think about the page views, man. They would stand to benefit. Bill O'Brien, uh, former Texans head coach, former Penn State head coach current Alabama offensive coordinator and I forget exactly how long he was at Georgia Tech for a quick uh, quick Google he's a former Georgia Tech offensive coordinator under uh, uh, George Godsey or sorry GA and then running backs coach and then offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach under George O'Leary and I believe maybe for the first year of the Chan Gailey era um, so he was at Georgia Tech for six years um, actually a little bit more than that from 95 to 2002 that was a long time ago. I thought he did a reasonably good job as Penn State's head coach. He went 15-9 and nine in the two years coming off the just terrible end of the Joe Paterno tenure there. I just don't see it, man. I, I don't know that he would be interested. I don't know that Georgia Tech should be interested in him. I just don't look at him as a guy who is going to uh, build this program into what it what it really could be. Um, schematically, I mean, you just look at what he's doing at Alabama right now with about as much talent at his disposal as anybody, and it's often kind of underwhelming. It, it's nothing special. It's nothing all that exciting. And, I mean, you just look at how close they were to losing that game to Texas. I mean, you, you, you've got talent at your disposal. You should be able to do a little bit more than that if I think that you're going to be a really great schemer um, that's going to be able to coach guys up to win games where you're at a you know not at a talent uh, talent advantage Ken Wisenhunt and George Godsey both NFL assistants right now who Wisenhunt played at Georgia Tech as did George Goose Godsey former quarterback at Georgia Tech we we don't have to do this we don't have to do this like every hire is a, a Georgia Tech alum Georgia Tech grad I think if anything we learned from Jeff Collins, somebody who had background at Georgia Tech, grew up watching the program, among coaches has a pretty good understanding of kind of what this program is, was, and, and kind of had an – I think he had a certain vision for what it could be. That didn't work. And I don't know why we think that 
a couple of NFL assistant, you know, position coaches at this point who haven't really been in college football in like two decades. Why would that be the answer here? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think it is. Um, so these are names that, again, they get floated. I don't know why uh, you could maybe guess as to why, but I, I don't think that they are legitimate candidates. I, I would be really shocked even even with with Sanders, maybe maybe somehow within the Georgia Tech administration, somehow it becomes you know determined. Yeah, you know what? We've interviewed Dion. We we're really impressed with him and the whole the whole thing he's doing and what he could bring to our program. If you offer Dion Sanders the job, I'm also not convinced he would take it. I think there are other programs that are better suited to what he is looking to build for any given program that he leads. I don't think that he's going to jump at this job just because of this street address that the stadium is on. It's in the city of Atlanta. Oh, done. Yeah, I'd love it. I don't think so. Again, he, he was an Atlanta icon in the, in the 90s. It's been a long time. I don't know how much weight that carries anymore. Those are some names that I, I, I'm hearing and seeing associated with the job that I just, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I don't think you should either. So a couple names maybe you should buy. The number one name that I think is legitimate and, and has gotten floated on a few different places I've seen, Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. And it, some, some people, I think maybe in the administration, see him and, and his system as a little too close to what Paul Johnson ran. For some reason, there is this, this determination to be, uh, to be separated from Paul Johnson and his system and, and the option in general. I don't really know why. I don't know that anybody's going to run it the way that he ran it. I think there were some concerns with the aesthetics of what does it look like when we're running the same thing that a service academy is running and that nobody else runs and blah, blah, blah. It's not really all that fun to watch. Short games and low scoring and all that stuff. Um, it's, it seems all very superficial. I think we should look at results personally. But anyways, there's been some concern that maybe maybe Chadwell's too close to what um, what Paul Johnson did or what that offense looked like. I don't know how many Coastal Carolina games you've watched. There are some concepts that are there that are kind of in common, but the actual aesthetics and the look of it, not particularly close at all, and has led to a lot of big plays, lots of scoring, uh, a lot of winning for Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. You'll remember, I mean, they almost made a New Year's Six Bowl the year, the, the COVID year a couple of years ago. Um, they are a legitimately really good program, he has built programs not only there but elsewhere. I think he is a legitimate candidate. I think he is a really good choice. Uh, he is a name that I know that our guys from the Rumble seat have floated, did a did a profile on. I think that's a guy that you should really heavily be considering. Should be one of the first calls that you make. Honestly, uh, would would be Jamie Chadwell. I think he'd fit great. Dan Mullen, former Mississippi State and Florida head coach. Uh, former quarterbacks coach under Urban Meyer at Florida and at Utah. Just an incredible track record for developing talent, at, especially at the quarterback position. A really bright offensive mind who's been a great play caller everywhere he's been. Um, you look at some of what he's done with some not-so-highly-regarded recruits. Uh, Dak Prescott came up under him. Alex Smith became a number one overall pick at Utah. He was uh, the quarterback's coach was Dan Mullen. 
Um, just a really great track record, I think, and a, and a guy who has shown the ability to make more with less. And if if you're looking at him and saying, well, he got disgracefully, uh, you know, or what was it, dishonorably discharged at Florida there a, a year ago, he got dishonorably discharged because he wasn't recruiting at the level that Florida wanted him to recruit at. Do you know the level of recruiting that he was doing? Because it was like a borderline top 10 level nationally. Um, I, I, I looked this up recently. I think one of the, I think the worst recruiting class he ever had at Florida was like 14th nationally. And I think that was the year that he was hired. Uh, I believe all the recruiting classes he had were like eighth through 10th nationally, something like that, which is good. It's really good. And, and I think it's probably, you know, a reasonable expectation in the context of the Florida job. The problem is that their main rival is our friends up the, up the road in Athens they were recruiting it at an all-world, you know, unprecedented level, and so Florida wasn't going to be able to beat him. So they need somebody that could recruit better than that is, is what they were looking for. So could Dan Mullen recruit at a top 30 to 35 level at Georgia Tech? Yeah, absolutely, I think he could. Maybe even better. Could he coach up guys once they got on campus into a way that they could probably win seven, eight, nine games a year? Absolutely, I think he could. And I think the style of football he would play would be a lot of fun. Uh, I think they would score a lot of points. I think they'd win a lot of games. I, I think it would be a lot of fun to watch, and I think that would go really well. I think they'd be a home run hire. Um, I know there's some concern in the industry that he's maybe not the best to work with, work for, might have trouble bringing in a staff just of people who wanted to work with him or for him. But he's won, and I can put up with any nonsense you know that he's going to do. And, and he's not always going to win the press conference, especially after a game that's a little too close or that they lose, but... I can put up with that if they're winning eight, nine games a year. A couple more here. Tyson Helton, head coach at Western Kentucky, uh, a name that, again, from the Rumble seat, was on top of previewing here recently. Um, a guy who, who's kind of quietly just really solid, a, a good offensive coach, uh, former offensive coordinator at Tennessee, um, and under, uh, I believe, under either Jeff Brom or um, – or Bobby Petrino at Western Kentucky. Like he's been associated with some good offenses and a guy who has built up this Western Kentucky program and they've won a lot of games. Uh, they, they won their division last year in uh, conference USA, just a solid, good option. I think here at 45 year old, um, he's, he is a first time head coach right now. Um, does have kind of limited power five uh, experience, but a guy who, Again, has a, a solid track record who rebuilt Western Kentucky after the Mike Sanford thing, which went totally south following the departure of Jeff Brom. So um, I think the way that he has built that program up over the last couple of years and, and improved it significantly from what it was there in a couple for a couple of years uh, really looks good on Tyson Helton. So that's, a, that's another name that I think is pretty well regarded you can keep an eye out for. One more name for now, and, and there will be more at some point later, but... Uh, I, I know what this is going to sound like, but Jeff Munkin, former Paul Johnson assistant, uh, he is currently the Army head coach. He's been at Georgia Tech. He was there those first couple of years. Uh, he was the quarterback's coach, B-back's coach, if I'm not mistaken, um, and has since built up Army into a way that they have not been built up into in a number of years. Um he is a guy that, again, might be a little too close to that Paul Johnson tree for anyone to be actually interested in him. But if we can just get away from from that concept 
He's a guy who has won a lot of games. He has made that Army program very competitive. Um, he built up their whole recruiting apparatus in, in, in a, a place, a school that is not going to lend itself to just recruiting any top-end talent really nationally. Um, they really have to pick and choose the guys they go after. I, I think in a lot of ways it would translate to Georgia Tech. And if offensively you're saying, well, we don't want to go back to the flex bone and, and running that option, I don't think that he's like really committed to running the flex bone forever. And, and if you watch a couple of the Army games from early this year, they're not just running pure flex bone stuff anymore. They had a game earlier this year where I think they threw for like 250, almost 300 yards, maybe. Like they're, they're he's showing some stuff, and I think it might be a little bit of a purposeful thing. Um, yeah, against UTSA, they lost 41-38. That's a good UTSA team, by the way. They lost 41-38. They went 13 for 18 for 304 yards and two touchdowns through the air. Sounds a little bit like an evolution to me. Um, that I don't know that they are like really, really trying to stick to the flex bone as much as possible till kingdom come. And I don't think that's Jeff Munkin's intent. And I think he's showing you this year hey, look, we're going to evolve a little bit. We're going to do something a little different. I can do something a little different. Maybe it'll get him a Power 5 job at long last. But that's a guy who has built a program as well as almost anybody I think could be asked to at a difficult place to do it at Army. And I think he could really do well at Georgia Tech and a guy that, again, has background at Georgia Tech and understands kind of what he would be getting into to some degree. So credit to Jeff Munkin. And I, I think he's a name that he might get dismissed outright again. But I don't think he should. I, I think you are really messing up if you're Georgia Tech and you're not even giving that guy a call, not even giving him a, a chance. Not even giving him a chance. I, I'd, I'd at least give him that shot. That's all I got. Those are some of the names that I, I think you maybe look out for. But again, if anything you hear in the next two, three weeks, just ignore it. Ignore it or just you know use it for Twitter fodder or you know whatever you're going to do. But um, I don't think there's any legitimate search going on at the moment. I know they they mentioned today that they've hired a search firm. I don't know. We'll see. What you never know what that comes back with. And um, oftentimes the search firm is not even asked for a recommendation of like who should we hire. They're just sort of a, a go between gopher of sorts um, to try to avoid you know FOIAs and whatever all else. So. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Um, Georgia Tech obviously embarking on a not only a football coaching search, but also an athletic director search. I tend to think that you hire the athletic director and then you let that person hire the head coach so that everybody knows what they're getting into and what they're signing up for. Um, definitely not a thing where, you know, if you imagine in your job, if, if you were going to be accepting a job and you said, well, who's the boss? And they said, well, we don't know yet. W would you do that? You'd certainly be a little bit nervous at least. So more to come on this as we learn more and as this thing develops a little further. But I just I, I wanted to take some time just to get some thoughts off on Jeff Collins, the failure that was talk about the job and what it is and what it's not um, and, and why it's it's a job that, you know, again, you're never going to win a national title here, but you can be successful by the definition of success that we're going to use as as this fan base. And, and I think. It's a it is a bit of a practical fan base of again I think it's it's a, it's okay to understand like Georgia Tech is different than Clemson it's different than Georgia or Alabama it's different than Ohio State and it's okay and we love it for it but it also means that you're not going to win maybe at the level that they do and you're not going to be able to consistently compete with those programs on the field but there's a lot of other programs you play that you will be able to compete with and, and win against 
And so that's that's what you really got to focus on, I think, if you're Georgia Tech moving forward. Lots of candidates out there. Go for a schemer. Go for a schemer. Do not fall into the trap again of, well, we can just recruit our way out of this and, and just get more talent. That's our problem. It's not your problem. Talent is not your problem uh, at this point. The, the roster right now is, is in a pretty decent spot, I think. I, I've mentioned this before. Whoever gets hired here is going to have a chance to make a pretty immediate impact. Like year one, win six or seven games. There, there is plenty of talent on this team that can be played with. It's just it, it has been so misused for the last three-plus years, uh, and that's ultimately really what led to Jeff Collins' undoing, was that they just haven't been coached. They haven't been schemed well. They haven't been uh, coached, held accountable, all those things. Um, just lots of missteps with the way that everything was managed. But, uh, again, I think there is there's talent here that can be won with, depending on who uh, who comes in and how well they're able to, to leverage it and execute with it. So that's all I got for tonight. Uh, this has run significantly longer than I thought it would, which is, you know, par for the course here on this podcast if this is your first episode please hit the subscribe button uh, we would love to have you on normally we are previewing and recapping games every single week we've got weekly awards that we do on the recap show that are a lot of fun um, we make locks and picks and they're they're usually pretty bad but sometimes they're really good um, so you know stick around for those uh, we really appreciate it we, we do this for for all ACC teams but obviously Georgia Tech being the one that I am particularly invested in and, and interested in and, and knowledgeable of um, but we do cover all the ACC programs if you're listening to this somehow at this point and not a Georgia Tech in particular person. Um, so hit that subscribe button. Uh, we appreciate ratings. Uh, we, you can send us emails to basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. It is the longest email address known to man. Um, we've been getting a number of those lately. We really appreciate those. Um, we'll, we'll be addressing those as we have just like any moment of time <laughs> as uh, both Mike and I are dealing with with young, young ones. Um, I, I'm not totally sure if his is still considered like a full on infant, but, uh, mine certainly is. And if his is, it's like barely crossing that, that threshold into baby. Um, so it is uh, still, you know, fun times. Not sure I can recommend, uh, if you're a minor college football media member as we somewhat are, and that's even a lot of credit, but like if, if you're, if you are, I would uh, recommend maybe timing up babies uh, to avoid college football season as best you can um, although these things not always a uh, a perfect planable exercise we'll say so but anyways uh, I'm at FTRS Joey he's at Mike McDaniel SI together at BC Podcast ACC if you want to follow us on Twitter um, we've got a YouTube channel that we're, we're working on really kind of building up again so go search for basketball conference on Twitter on YouTube excuse me um, once again, go find my column and all the other great coverage of Georgia Tech at fromtherumbleseat.com. Uh, that is where I, I previously resided as manager, columnist, editor, lots of different things. Um, the, the guys that are still there doing a, a phenomenal job uh, keeping tabs on the program, putting together some of these profiles, talking about candidates. So go look at those there. I think that's it, though. That's all I got. Really appreciate anyone still listening. Um, interesting time at Georgia Tech, and, and hopefully this coaching search works out, but we will keep you posted as there are developments. That's it. That's all I got. We will talk to you again soon. We're going to come back and preview games for week five. We've got a really good slate coming your way, so keep it tuned here. That will be in your inbox, uh, your podcast platform of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, you know, whatever you use. That will be coming your way here later this week as we get ready for, again, week five in the ACC and all those interesting games. Uh, I am 
partially stalling here. We do not have a weeknight game. So this might be either like a Thursday afternoon or a Friday morning situation for this week's preview podcast. But um, keep it tuned here. You will be hearing lots of thoughts on this weekend's slate. All right. That's all I got. Once again, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Until next time, go Jackets and go ACC. Some other beginnings and